educating a generation unto future hope. Just a quick message. Jude 1, I have a strange text. I want to tell you why I'm choosing it. Jude 1, 3 to 7, and then 11 to 25. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to, here's the sentence, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Just take a minute, pause there in the text. And just take a minute to notice the emphasis of the text. Our writer is not writing about the beliefs of this church. That's not what it's about. It's about something different. He's writing about our ability and our willingness to contend. That's the verb. To contend for beliefs when they're challenged by opposing ideologies. This isn't about what beliefs you hold. This is about what beliefs you contend for. Most Christians like believing. The world really doesn't care about your beliefs. What Christians don't like is contending for beliefs that are no longer popular. That's the issue of the text. So, just that first lesson. You can't just hold Christian beliefs. You have to be willing to contend for them in the marketplace of ideas. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in, he means crept into the, the thinking of the church, have crept in unnoticed, that's the important thing, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our Lord God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Interesting the way he says Jesus did that. Verse 6. And the angels, who did not stay in their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day when Jesus comes again. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Woe to them, verse 11. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And about this time, you're thinking, who in the world are all these people and what in the world is this all about? But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, quote, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Don't just hold it. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on them, on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, even hating the garment stained by the flesh. You can hate the sin and still show mercy on people. Those aren't mutually contradictory. And then these are the words everybody knows. They're the ones everybody likes. 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. We only have a few moments, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to come on both sides of the pulpit, work understanding and urgency in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Surprisingly, the reason for a Sunday emphasis like this comes from the second last book of the Bible, the book of Jude. And Jude writes with a burdened heart for his church. He says, verse 3, he says he found it necessary to write. It wasn't just something he wanted to do. There was, there was a necessity driving him. He, he had this inward compulsion. He was compelled to write. He was driven by the Spirit to help these people and urge them, verse 3, to contend for the faith that had been delivered to them. His concern is obvious in the text. The presence of people who had arisen right within the church, verse 4, and people were getting confused with all sorts of false ideas about holiness and grace. He says certain people crept in. There's the important word there. Unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They, they pervert the grace of our God. God's gracious. God's loving. You don't have to worry. They turn it into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That shouldn't happen in a church, but it does. It did, and it does. And I read that lengthy text, really too long for the time that I have, to include the many things Jude says about these people. He says they were perverting the grace of God in verse 4. He says they were defiling the flesh and rejecting authority in verse 8. That means they had to have their their way. You couldn't tell them what to do. He says in verse 10 that they blaspheme things they don't understand. He says in verse 16 that they're grumblers, malcontents following their own evil desires. He says in verse 19 they cause divisions, and he says they're void of the Spirit. What a terrible list. Jude's heart breaks. But here's the point. After you read that whole sorted list, it's not the wickedness of these people that troubles Jude the most. That's not what he's upset about. He's not upset about the bad things that these people do. That's not the point of the text. No. 
as this, the brother of James, as he writes these words in about 68 AD, what troubles him most is that these wicked ideas had actually arisen in the church, verse 4, unnoticed. That's what bothers Jude. The whole letter is written because he wants these bad ideas to be noticed. He, he thinks the church should spot them right away. It troubles him. It troubles him at this late period in the apostolic age. Many of the apostles were dead. Soon there would be none of the original apostles alive. And at this late date, it troubles Jude that the church was so vulnerable to bad ideas and bad examples and bad thinking. And he, so he wants these people to, verse 3, contend for the faith. But he knows they can't do that if they can't even notice when something's wrong. So now we're coming to the heart of the issue. And it relates to what we're doing today. How will these Christians, the ones to whom Jude writes, how will they be protected from false thinking and immorality when it gets more and more common right in their midst? I mean, everybody loves those lyrical words to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Praise God. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's when Jesus comes again. But, but the text begs the question, how? How will Jesus keep people from stumbling? How will people be kept blameless? Do, do we sit and hope and pray that Jesus will just watch over us all? James, Jude doesn't think so. The church will be protected if it can easily and quickly spot false thinking and immoral behavior. And Jude's strategy for this church, and for this church, is to prepare it for identifying these things by knowing the stories of biblical history. I hope you'll see it, and I hope you'll remember it. Here's what Jude does. We're going to go fast. He compares false teaching to the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah. He does it in the seventh verse. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, likewise means just like you're seeing in your church, Jude says, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude assumes that that if these Christians are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the point. If they know that story, they'll have a much easier time dealing with false teaching in their church. He specifically says those cities serve as an example, and people will be kept holy as they remember that example. Then you look at verse 11. It's, a, it's got a lot of things in verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain... Abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. This is amazing. It's amazing that Jude cites three, in one verse, three historic Old Testament accounts. 
about Cain from Genesis 3, Balaam from Numbers 22 to 24, and Korah in Numbers 16. What's that all about? What, what is Jude doing here? If he has some specific instructions for the church about how to keep her theologically sound and morally pure, why doesn't he just tell them how to stay pure? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And it's one of the most important things you can learn as a serious disciple. If Jude just gives these people some simple, specific instruction about the one specific situation they're in, they're up against, he will have failed them as a leader. He will help them quickly, but he'll only help them short term. And so Jude isn't out to give them just a quick how-to list for this one situation. Jude's going to die soon. And this church, and all churches, and our church, we're going to need more than a quick how-to list. And so Jude wants to give these Christians something more valuable. He wants to arm them against this trial, these false teachers, and any other danger, and any other group of false teachers that will come down through history to train their minds so they can learn to discern any error and protect themselves in any situation. That's what he wants to do, and I have three thoughts. First, we're way over half done, by the way. First, Jude assumes these people will know these stories from the Old Testament. That's what makes this work. But think about it. Not one of the people to whom Jude wrote had a Bible like you have. Not one. This was the first century. There were no books. There was no printing press, no magazines, no Christian bookstores, no Amazon.ca, no blogs, no websites, no podcasts, no internet, no Christian radio. But here's what they could do. Here's what these people could do. They gathered together pretty regularly, and they listened with their ears to oral tradition and instruction of these Old Testament accounts that had been handed down in local gatherings. And for the vast majority of the people, that's the only Christian learning that was possible. Jesus was ascended. Most of the apostles were dead. And Jude assumes... Jude assumes they had taken the time and made, made the effort to know all those stories that he talked about. Four of them in our text. Four Old Testament accounts. Just from hearing it over and over again, from studying it, from memorizing it, Jude, Jude assumes that if he just mentions Cain and Balaam and Korah and Sodom and Gomorrah, Jude assumes that all the people that read his letter will be able to fill in the details of all those stories. Can you do that? Can you do that? Do you know those stories? Given all the resources we have as a church today, if we don't know these stories then the standard of Bible knowledge in this congregation and churches like it would be embarrassingly low. And it's not just an intellectual thing. We won't keep pure. We won't notice, that's the word he uses, notice false thinking in the church. 
Point number two. Jude assumes that knowing these stories and carefully considering them will protect the church in her present situation. In other words, to know that Sodom and Gomorrah were affluent, trendy, fun-loving, sexy places, and for all their pleasure, they couldn't stave off the wrath of God just because they didn't want to think about it, that's important for us to know that. useful information. It'll help me make better decisions at the party at work or the friends at church who pride themselves on not being as prudish or legalistic as the rest of the congregation. To know that Cain was jealous of his brother's devotion to the command of God so much that he couldn't stand the sight of him. That's useful in my own walk with Jesus. Resentment can carry all of us in horrible directions and we need to know about Cain to learn that. To know that Balaam finally caved in and abandoned faithfulness to God when there was enough money offered him is an example to me when I can have a much bigger slice of the world's pie if I only sacrifice a pure, simple, contented obedience to the call of God on my life. I need to know about that. To know that Korah... He sacrificed his own life and that of his wife and that of his children simply because it galled him to submit to Moses. And the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed him. Do you know that story? The final point, point number three. This is a record breaker for me. Wow. I want to talk to you just a teeny bit longer on this point. I wish you could know how deeply I feel this in my heart. God has still ordained a deep knowledge of the flow of biblical history as one of the chief means of purifying and protecting his church. People don't commit new sins. There are really no new dangers. The dangers that gnaw away at the fiber of the work of God in your life, in this church or any other church. Those dangers, like our text, those dangers are only dangerous if they go unnoticed. Certain people have crept in unnoticed, Jude says. Nobody saw what was going on. Nobody cared. Jude isn't the only one to say this. Paul says the same thing. This is our last text. For whatever was written in former days, he means the Old Testament. It was written for our instruction. That's the New Testament church. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, Educating a generation unto future hope is what we're talking about. And I'm, I'm sure that Jude and Paul would both salute any church that was stirring this idea up all over again. We're, we're here today because we're committed to educating a generation into future hope. That through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, Paul says. 
This is how the New Testament weds the past with the future. We study what was written in former days, Paul says, that we might have hope. That's how we face the future, the way we want our children to face the future. That means if people don't know about Sodom and Gomorrah and Cain and Balaam and Korah and his family, if they don't know that, here's what Paul means, they're hopeless in terms of following Jesus. Hopeless. I wish you could just spend a week or two walking around and... Uh, seeing all the things we try and work out. You can look at it as nothing but a string of problems, things that have to be solved. Christian ed, always looking for teachers, always looking for workers. Nursery, Awana leaders. Anova, Anova, growing, needing more space. Cedar Views Kids Ministries, growing, needing more space. The building staying the same size. Nothing but headaches. And then you have a service like this. And you see all these cute kids. Are they coming up again, the kids? Are they done? They coming up again? You see all the cute kids up here, and you see them on the screen, and you look around, and all the adults go, aww. Maybe instead of looking up and smiling, you should look up and weep. Let me tell you something about all those kids, all of them. They're going to grow up in a world. Paul, now Jude says, these people here had to contend for what they believed. These kids are going to grow up in a world that hates their Christian faith. And not one of us is going to be here to help them. What we do, we have to do now. We have to do now. This matters. And the next time it comes between choosing getting your kids to the youth or to the soccer game, give your head a shake. Their chances of growing up to be a pro athlete are 1 in 50,000. Their chances of growing up in a world that hates their Christian faith are 100%. This matters. It's not a game. They need to not only know what they believe, they need to know what the Word says, and they need to know how to contend for their faith on their own. I'm not going to be here. Most of you aren't going to be here either. What we do, we have to do now. Educate a generation unto future hope. And everyone who gets the seriousness of what I said, say amen.